Tonight we're in our second week of a four-part series called Defeating Death and thinking about something that's true for each of our lives. And we talked about this last week, that we can ignore it, we can act like it's not going to happen, but the only thing true in life is that we will all die. Someone after the service said last week, well, you know, the only things true in life are death and taxes. And I said, well, I know people who can get around paying their taxes, right? Like you could, you could run away, you could get a scam with tax, but you can't cheat death no matter what you may try to do. All of us live with this inevitability of our finite existence in this physical body that will one day come to an end. And last week we talked about how that death in our world isn't how God created our world to be, but is a result of sin and its effects on our world. And so tonight we're going to continue in this series thinking about these questions that aren't necessarily happy or popular, but are so relevant for each and every one of us. Well, Alex Malarkey was six years old riding with his dad down a road in Ohio when their car was hit hard from the side and suddenly his life was at risk. And he spent several days in the hospital. Long surgeries actually has become, I believe, a quadriplegic for the rest of his life. And six years after that accident in which he nearly died when he was 12 years old, a book came out that he was said to have co-authored with his father, The book is called The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. This book was written written by a Christian publisher, sold well over a million copies. A TV movie was put on about this book. But what you may not have realized is about three, four years ago, now that this now six-year-old boy is in his late teens and early 20s, came out and said, I made it all up. I made all of it up. I didn't die. I didn't go to heaven. They asked why. He said, well, I was six years old and I thought this will get me attention if I say, well, yeah, I died and I went to heaven and this is what it's like. And this book falls into many books that have come out in the last 20 years in our world that are kind of labeled heaven tourism books. I didn't know that was a a label until this week, but that's labeled heaven tourism on which millions and millions of books have been sold by people who have had death or near-death experiences and they've come back to tell people what it's like. Another book called 90 Minutes in Heaven was on the New York Times bestseller list for five years, sold six million copies. A book, Heaven is for Real, sold 10 million copies. The movie made over $100 million and it was based off the experience of a four-year-old. Now, I have a four-year-old niece, and I love Anna to death. But if Anna's going to try and tell me what heaven's like, I don't think I'm necessarily going to believe everything that she says because she's four. Now, we could go in and we could talk a lot about what what we should think about books like this, but I don't want us to so much think about what it says about those people. I want us to think about this. What does it say about us that 10 million people would spend money, millions of people would spend their hard-earned money to listen to a four-year-old's opinion on what happens after we die. Because I think it gets down to the deep root of the existence that we have. 
where it doesn't matter if it's an authority on the topic or a four or a six-year-old child. If someone has some experience, some insight into what happens after we die, our hearts are naturally bent towards those questions because it rolls around in all of our heads. What happens to us after we die? And so tonight we're going to wrestle and think through together with this question, what happens after we die? Now, as I was putting this message together this week, I realized I could very easily go for two, maybe three hours on this topic. I promise I will not do that. I will go less than that. But the Bible is full of truth of what happens about life after death. And so our outline for tonight, and if you have your bulletin with you, I'd encourage you to pull it out in the middle section or some notes. Our outline for tonight as well as a few passages, although we'll be in a lot more. Our outline for tonight is five truths in Scripture about life after death. Five truths contained in God's Word about life after death. Now, before we jump in, I just want to say, why Scripture? For a lot of us, that's assumed. But if you're visiting or you're newer and exploring Christianity, you may say, what special thing? Why do you get to talk about this topic? Why does the Bible have any more authority than these other books that you've talked about? Isn't it just something that someone made up? Well, there's a lot of reasons that we could go into on why the Bible can be trusted, why it can have authority in our lives. But I think especially when it comes to matters like the question we're going to talk about tonight. What happens to us after we die? For me, when I think of why the Bible helps us understand this question, it's so simple for me for one big reason. The Bible focuses around someone named Jesus Christ. He was a real person who lived. He, in front of thousands of people, publicly said, I am going to die and come back to life. And he did it. And thousands of people could have refuted it. Christianity would have died if he wasn't risen from the dead. If they found the body, it would have died right there. But Jesus publicly said, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise from the dead. And then he pulled it off. So he is uniquely qualified. And God's word is something to say that's different than the rest of the world because the message of the Bible is ultimately the message of what Jesus has to say to us. So the first truth that we're going to look at tonight, the first truth about life and death contained in scripture is this. Our eternal destiny is determined by this life. Our eternal destiny, where you will spend eternity, is determined by this life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 says this. It says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. The Bible is clear throughout its teaching that our eternal destiny, what happens to us after we die, is happened and is based on the life that we've lived here. Now this passage, if this were to be the only passage we would look at tonight, it seems to be, if a quick reading of it, would be like, oh, so I get, when I die, God says, good, evil, how much did you do? Let's see how the scales weigh out. Well, that's not the full teaching of Scripture. We're going to see that this is the evidence, the overflow of who you have believed in in your life. But after we die, each and every one of us in the future will appear before what's called the judgment seat of Christ. 
The book of Revelation gives us a picture into this. And so this is a judgment that the Bible talks about that will be true of all people, no matter what they believed in, will be here at this judgment. It says this in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Books throughout the Old and New Testament are a symbol of who you've believed in, the kind of life you've lived. It's not as if God's up there meticulously taking notes and literally writing everything down. But it's a figure of speech that God knows us. He knows the life we live. He can pull out the book on each and every one of us. The books will be opened. But then another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead and those who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead and those who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And then in the next chapter, it describes the new heaven and the new earth in several amazing details. And the final detail it gives us of the new heaven and the new earth in chapter 21 is found in the last verse, Revelation 21, verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This idea of the book of life and our name being written in it is, is throughout the New Testament of those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so when, when we answer this question, when we start to think about what happens to us after we die, I want us to start with the big picture, not immediately, not 20 seconds, not one minute, not five minutes, but big picture, our eternal destiny is determined by the choices, the decisions, the faith, the belief that we have in this life. Eternity is a long time and our life is very short. There's a sermon illustration that I heard several years ago, and as I was thinking this week, I said, I can't do anything better than what this pastor did, so I'm just going to steal what he did, all right? So, so this is not original with me, all right? But up here, I have a rope. There's nothing special about this rope other than I found it in our children's ministry closet. Michelle, if you're here tonight, I will return this, I promise, all right? So imagine this rope is a timeline, this is the start of your life and it extends on. It doesn't get in knots like that, all right? It extends on for eternity. It's a timeline. And picture all of eternity all the way out and it keeps forever going. And this piece of duct tape right here is your life here on earth. And when we obsess over the details of this earth and think this is what matters, we ignore all of eternity that we have coming and we focus on Oh man, I can't wait till I get to go to college. I really hope I get that job. I really hope my retirement savings keeps going up so I can retire by 65 so I can enjoy this part of my life. And we've not even paid attention to eternity before us. See, this little bit right here that God has given us on earth, our lives here, determine where we will spend eternity. 
Our lives here in the present determine where we will spend eternity. And that's why we're talking about this question tonight, because it's such an important question. That little bit on the map affects everything else after it. C.S. Lewis, the the well-known author and writer, when thinking about the future and, and who is going there, reminds us of this fact. He says, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal, but it is immortals because all of us have an eternal destiny. It is immortals who we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, either for immortal horrors or everlasting splendor. And so eternity is is brought about by the decisions and the choices that we make with just the little life we're given. And so we want to think well about what we're living for in this time because the impact of it echoes on for so long. The second truth that scripture teaches us about life after death is that there are no second chances. There are no second chances. It says in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, it is appointed for man to die once. You die once and after that comes judgment. It's appointed for us to live one life. We die once. And after that is when this judgment comes based on the life that we lived. Perhaps one of the most powerful parables that teaches us truths of what life is like after death is found in Luke chapter 16. It's printed in your bulletin there tonight. Luke chapter 16, which is the story of Jesus. He gives the story of a rich man and Lazarus. And in this story, this rich man has all the worldly treasures you could want. Anything you could want, he had. Yet Lazarus is outside and he's sick and he just longs for the crumbs on the rich man's table. But the great equalizer, death, comes to both of them. And we see this picture of them. The, the Lazarus, it says, it goes to, to Abraham's side. He goes to be in the presence of God. But the rich man, living life for himself, goes to be in Hades in verse 23. It says this, that he was in torment, lifted up his eyes and called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the, the, his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And then verse 26. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. In order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. A great chasm has been fixed. See, there are no redos in life. There are no bonus lives that you get. If you're like me and you grew up playing Super Mario Brothers, it didn't matter if you died. Why? Because you ate a mushroom so you get another life. You're like, no worries. There are no mushrooms in this life that give you a second chance to come back when you die and do it over and make up for the mistakes that you have done. In fact, in that imagery there, he says there's a great chasm has been fixed. And in my mind this week, as I thought of this great chasm being fixed between the two, I thought of the greatest chasm that I've ever personally seen with my eyes, and that's the Grand Canyon out in Arizona. 
And if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you think a lot of things when you walk up to it and you stand on its edge and you look all the way across and see the other side. But one thing you certainly don't think is, hey, if I get strong enough, I can jump to the other side. You never think that because it's such a great chasm. You stand in awe, you're amazed at its beauty, but it never would even cross your mind as an option to be able to get to the other side just by jumping or trying. As great a chasm is there, it's not even compares to the great chasm that is between our eternal destinies once we die. There are no second chances. There's no coming back to this life. And there's no second chances when we die to get belief right of the things that we missed or missed out on here in this world. See, there's a teaching that's become ever more popular in our world the last 10, 15 years. And it's called Christian Universalism. Christian universalism, typical universalism is kind of the belief that any religion, anything you believe will lead you to God. So you can believe anything you want about basically anything and we all end up in the exact same place. Well, Christian universalism is a spin on this and it doesn't say you can believe anything, but what it says is ultimately once we die, we'll all have enough chances over and over and God is patient with us, God is loving with us, and so eventually given enough time, every single person is going to repent and have their second, their third, their fourth, their fifth, on, on, on. And then finally, everyone will believe in Jesus someday. And they, they do this, not, not trying to ignore the Bible, but I think trying to come to grips with this fact that I think a lot of us wrestle with, that people we love have passed away and we don't know where their hearts are. And so to try and wrestle with the reality of how we deal with this, they've thought, well, well, maybe since God loves people, he's just going to make it all right. And it doesn't really matter because eventually everyone will come back to God in the future. Tonight, our outline is truths that scripture tells us about life and death. This thinking has zero evidence in God's word. In fact, it actually goes in contradiction to what the Bible teaches. Jesus in, in Luke chapter 13 was asked by someone, who will be saved? Who will be saved? And he said, the road to salvation, that road is narrow. And once the door is shut, what, what Jesus means by it is once our lives have come to an end, once the door is shut, there is no going back. There is no changing of minds. There is no way to repent of our sins after we've died and we realize, oh man, I got it wrong while I was here on earth. The Bible teaches us very clearly tonight that there aren't second chances when it comes to this life. This is the life that God's given us and how we live this life impacts us for eternity. So you're like, well, you finally get to answering the question, what happens after we die? Number three, the third truth that the scripture has to say is we will either be with Jesus or separated from Jesus. We will either be with Jesus or separated from Jesus. The, the Bible teaches that immediately upon our death, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you enter into what we would call an intermediate state. Now, I grew up, and a lot of us just learned, if you go to Sunday school, what happens when you die and you believe in Jesus? What happens when you die? You go straight to 
Well, come on. You go straight to where? Heaven. No, sorry, wrong. Well, you're like, well, what did he say? Just hang on, hang on. All right. You go to what the, the Bible calls an intermediate state is kind of how theologians have framed it. And so you're either with Jesus or you're separated from Jesus. First, we'll talk about those who are separated from Jesus, who haven't placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, that's a place called Hades. We talked about that. We read that in Revelation chapter 20. It talked about how, how people who were in Hades would be raised up and God would judge them. Hades is a place separate from God. God's presence is not there. And it seems to be the characteristics that are true of eternal punishment for our sin are true in those times as well. That's a place of torment and punishment where God isn't with us. But ultimately, those who are in Hades, separated from God immediately upon their physical death, will be raised, that's what we read in Revelation chapter 20, and judged by Jesus. There's many verses that we could go to talk to about what this next eternal state for them will be. One is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, which says this. This is talking about Jesus' return to this earth and judging this earth. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So those who do not believe in Jesus will be separated from him at first to a place called Hades and ultimately resurrected, judged by Jesus and cast into a place called hell. So what is hell like? What is hell like if that's where people who don't believe in Jesus will go? I was greatly helped this week by a man named Erwin Lutzer, who was the senior pastor of our church for 37 years, his book, One Minute After You Die. And I love the descriptions that he gives of what hell is like. And I thought they were, they were very helpful for me. What is hell like in three words? The first word that he used was torment. That hell is a place of torment. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, when it talks about the Antichrist being cast into hell, it's a place of torment forever. We see that in this, this chapter, this parable, excuse me, in Luke chapter 16. It's a place of torment for the rich man as well. Secondly, it's a place of abandonment. It's a place of abandonment, away from the presence of the Lord. God is not there. Scholars love to, theologians love to talk about, does abandonment mean human abandonment as well? Are you separated from all physical contact with other people? Of Jonathan Edwards, the great American theologian, presumed that if other people will be there in Hades with you, it will only add to the agony and misery of it. It won't be to comfort or help you at all. See, we have this saying oftentimes in our world, like, oh, we're going to go to hell and have a party down there. I hate to break it to you, but that's not at all how it works. The third characteristic of hell is that it is a place for eternity. It is a place that lasts forever, that will go on eternal. One, one description of it in another passage was day and night forever. Conscious punishment abandoned by God, tormented because we haven't trusted in Jesus and we're separated from him for eternity. 
So that's, the, that's what happens to people who don't believe in Jesus Christ according to what the Bible teaches and are separated from him upon their death. So what about for people who believe in Jesus Christ? The Bible teaches that for those who have trusted in Jesus for salvation, that immediately upon the time of our death, we are with Jesus. We are present with Jesus. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Paul was so sure of this that he said we would rather be away from this physical body and at home with the Lord. He was so sure of this fact that he was actually looking forward to that day near the end of his life where he would leave this physical pain and the suffering he had and instead be present with God. The New Testament doesn't really give us a lot of descriptions and names about this intermediate state other than the fact that we're with Jesus. In the Old Testament, it's something that is called those who have trusted in God for salvation. It's something called that they are with in Abraham's side, or if you have the old King James, which I still remember, they're in Abraham's bosom. We don't use that word very often anymore, right? So it's kind of weird to use, right? But they are with Abraham, and it was this place reserved for God's people until the final day. The New Testament doesn't use that word, doesn't use that language to describe people who have believed in Jesus Christ. But it's clear that the people who trust in God for salvation are with Jesus the moment that we breathe our last breath here on this earth. And then... Just like those who died separated from God, those of us who die believing in Jesus will be resurrected and put in the new heavens and in the new earth. And the Bible talks about that the main passage is in Revelation chapter 21. What is this place, the new heavens and the new earth, like? First, it's like a place of delight, of joy, of happiness. It's a place that will be no death, no crying, no sadness. No physical pain as we will be in our resurrected and perfected physical bodies for eternity. Secondly, it will be a place that we will enjoy the presence of God. Hell is a place of abandonment. Heaven is a place, the new heaven and the new earth is a place where the presence of God will be. Immediately after describing what it looks like, the author of Revelation says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And thirdly, the new heaven and new earth is a place for eternity. It's a place for eternity. That we who have trusted in Jesus Christ will live and dwell for the rest of eternity. Now, depending on what faith tradition you grew up in, a common teaching in, in some circles is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you die, you go to a place where you now have to finish paying for your sin. That would be called the doctrine of purgatory. The doctrine of purgatory. And so think of it this way. You can comfort your, your, yourself as you're about to die. You can comfort a grieving friend. Well, don't worry. They're just in pain for a little bit longer now after they die. We don't really know how much longer, but eventually they'll be with Jesus. My friends, again, that has nothing to do with what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach at all. In fact, the Bible contradicts that. And believing that after we die, we go to a place where we have to pay for our sin actually minimizes Jesus and the, his salvation and his work on the cross. 
The New Testament consistently teaches that Jesus himself bore all of our sin in his body on the cross. When you die, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you go to be with Jesus. You don't have to pay for your sin because you couldn't. Only Jesus can and has. An amazing story when it comes to this idea of what happens immediately after we die is one of Jesus hanging on the cross. It's recorded for us in Luke chapter 23. It says this, Luke 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at Jesus saying, are you not the Christ, the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. But this man pointing to Jesus, looking at him has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. If the thief on the cross did not have to go to a place to atone for his sin, he literally was there because he deserved to be there and didn't get to do one physical thing, one good deed to give evidence of his salvation. If he doesn't have to go to a place first to pay for his sin before going to Jesus, I think we can all just breathe a sigh of relief and know that the moment that you die, if you've placed your faith with Jesus, you are in the presence of God forever. You're in the presence of God forever. The fourth truth that scripture gives us about life after death is that we have all the evidence we need. We have all the evidence that we need. Again, looking back to that story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. It says this in verse 27. This is the rich man saying, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses, and they have the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This man was saying, you have all you needed in scripture. God's word clearly showed us the truth and you rejected it. The rich man did. He rejected God's word and he's saying that people's hearts are so hardened that if they're willing to reject what God's word says about the life after death, what God's word says about Jesus, he's saying someone could come back from the dead and it still wouldn't convince them otherwise. And so the truth that we need, all we need to know with certainty where we will spend the rest of our existence is contained in these words. If you need more evidence, if you're on the fence here tonight about what this, this teaches, well, is Jesus really worth following? Is what this guy up front's telling me, is it really true? I dare you, dive into this word and see what it has to say for yourself. If you need more evidence, jump into God's word and read what it has to say because he says that it has all that we need to know Jesus and what it means to follow him. We don't need someone to come back and write us a book telling us what it's like. We don't need some new revelation. All that we need 
all the evidence we need is conveyed in Scripture. The fifth truth that Scripture has for each and every one of us tonight when it comes to thinking about life after death is that we can know with certainty where we will go. Tonight, you can know with certainty where you will go. Will we be separated from God for eternity or will we be with Jesus for eternity? We can know with certainty. 1 John chapter 5 says this, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know you have eternal life. If you're here tonight and you're worried about what would happen to you, you say, well, I've, I've placed my, my faith in Jesus, but oftentimes, even when we've done that, that doesn't dispel anxiety and fear and things that can creep into our lives. Or maybe we have someone that we love who's close to us, who's facing death or who has died. Friends, we can know with certainty where our lives will go one day. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I just want to give you this great encouragement tonight. If you believe in Jesus tonight, the moment you die, you will be with Jesus. You will be with Jesus. You will be with God. Nothing can take that away. Nothing can separate you from him, not even death itself. But if you're here tonight and you're thinking, all right, what, what, what does it mean to have life in the sun? How do we experience this life that's talked about here in 1 John? How, how can I know for certain what it means to follow Jesus, that I can experience this life after death rather than this place of torment and abandonment and punishment? It says this in Romans chapter 3. It says that all of us have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. Pastors sin, missionaries sin, your boss sins, your mom sinned, your grandma. Everyone is guilty of sin and wrongdoing. All of us could never get there on our own. We all fall way short of the expectation that God has. But we are justified by his grace. We are made righteous. God can redeem us and save us through the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. It's a gift that God can give to each and every one of us and freely offers. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 that it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. In case they miss it, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. See, we're not here tonight to say you can know with certainty where you will spend the rest of your life like it's some big brag that we've done a lot. No, we, we can know with certainty because of who we've placed our faith in, not because of anything that we've done ourselves. And so none of us, least of all myself, can get up here and brag about the fact that we can know. Because it's not that I've ever done anything to deserve it, but it's all what God has done for us. Why would God offer us such an amazing gift of an eternal life, of salvation in Jesus Christ? In Romans chapter 5, it says this, that God shows his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Why would God do this? Because of his great love for each and every one of us. So that's why it says in Romans chapter 8, it says, I am sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, powers, heights, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Death and life cannot separate you from him. So 1 John 5 again says that he writes these things that you may know that you have eternal life. And so the question that I want to ask you tonight is do you know with certainty where you will spend eternity? Do you know with certainty tonight where you will spend eternity? Our lives are short. So often we focus on that one little bit when eternity hangs in the balance. And tonight as we think about where we will spend the rest of our lives, think about the decisions that we make now that affect that then. Most of all is the decision, what will I do with Jesus? The invitation is open to each and every one of us tonight. That Jesus died on the cross because he loves us so much. That he forgives us of our sin. And as we've sung tonight, he rose from the dead and defeated death so that we can have hope for our future. We don't have to look to our lives and think, man, after I die, it just ends. There's nothing. The Bible teaches that there's so much more. But the reality is we're either separated from God or we spend eternity with God. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me tonight? And if you're saying, today, I want to know with certainty, and I I don't know if I know right now, but I want to be certain of where I will spend my future. I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. I want to be with him for the rest of my life, for all of eternity. If that's true of you tonight and you want to make that decision tonight with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you tonight? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else, if you want to place your faith tonight in Jesus, thank you. And we're going to close with a prayer. And if you raised your hand, I would just encourage you to pray this prayer along with me. It doesn't matter if this is the first time you've prayed in a long time or ever in your life. Prayer is just talking to God and he's the God who loves you and cares for you. Just pray this in your own heart with me right now. God, I thank you for your love. Thank you that Jesus would love me so much that he would die on the cross for my sin, that he rose from the dead and defeated death. God, I want to spend eternity with you because I trust in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. God, we do thank you for the amazing hope that we have in Jesus. God, and we pray that each and every day we would live our lives with that reality that eternity is long and this present life is so short. God, may we represent you well. May we live lives of boldness and love and compassion and grace that would impact not just today, but would echo on for eternity. God, we thank you that nothing in this world, not even death, could separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the hope there is in the resurrection. 
pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.